book of Ephesians. It has this powerful start, and we've been repeating. If you can get past the intro, you can make it through the rest of the book. It sets a high bar. It's the kind of greeting, the kind of introduction that can change your life. He starts out, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So we know this bears a lot of weight to the saints who are in Ephesus. The faithful saints in Christ Jesus. So those who are called out and set apart to be holy, that's a big call. You're either a saint or you ain't. You've either surrendered to King Jesus or you haven't. And that's who this letter is addressed to. Amen that we have Jesus in our life so that we can be these sinner saints. And then he gets into verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about today. As much of a high calling as it is in verse 1. Grace and peace to you, Paul says. He gives us this greeting. And that's a little odd, right? We want to talk about it. We don't just walk up to each other all the time and say grace and peace to you. I know a brother who always signs his emails that way. He's more righteous than I. I'm I'm very inspired by it. Sometimes we might say God bless, right? Or something like that. But grace and peace to you. This is Paul's greeting. If you were with us last week, you heard Dave up here. He was preaching from 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, really, right? And that opens up with a similar greeting, grace and peace to you. But what does Timothy add? Mercy. (laughs) And only Timothy adds mercy, plus one other book. All of the rest, every single epistle, Paul says grace and peace to you, except for James just says grace to you. And not even grace, James just says greetings. But it's a very similar word. I think Veronica knew that one. <laughs> so, one letter says, hey, greetings. A couple of them say grace and peace and mercy. Here Paul says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about grace and peace this morning. But imagine, if they were going around saying that in the first century, if Paul was addressing people this way, grace and peace to you, what did that mean for them? Or if they're reading this letter to the, to the churches in Asia Minor around Ephesus, what does that mean to their first century Gentile and Jewish and Roman citizen cultural minds when they hear grace and peace to you? How do they use these words? And what do they mean for us today in our own culture? If we were to give someone grace and peace, if we were to know that we already have this grace and peace in Jesus Christ. And I think it makes a very big difference. A greeting that can change our life and set us up for the rest of the book of Ephesians. And it does really set us up for the rest of the book because grace is mentioned 12 times throughout the rest of the book. Peace is mentioned seven more times. Every single chapter keeps coming up, grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. we got to get this down. And really, I think all of us are somewhat aware of grace and peace at the basic level. And again, all of us already have this in Jesus Christ. But are we experiencing the full benefits of grace and peace? Is there an overflow of the grace and peace that's been given to us? Are we living out the grace and peace? 
peace, this fruit of the Spirit? Are others experiencing that around us? All right, so for us today, what, what greetings do you commonly hear? How do you say hi to people? You say hi. Sup. What else? Hey. Hey. Sup. Sup. Such profound words. What do they mean? <laughs> yeah, like, like I was saying earlier, right? At the most, we might say a God bless when we bring God into it. And then, oh, oh boy, you know that person has somewhat of a worldview, right? They said God bless, like they mentioned God. And, I, you know, sometimes we might come from a culture where that's very common. I only say God bless because everyone says God bless. We'd probably have to be very intentional to change our own greeting, right? I myself, I think I say, hey, how's, how's it going? What's up? It actually takes a lot of intentionality to change your greeting. So first century, what does it mean for them to give this greeting? The Greek words... There's the Greek word for peace, but actually I'll just give you the, the Hebrew word, shalom, right? For peace. Who's heard that before? Somebody just say shalom. There's a greeting. That's very biblical. But Paul doesn't say shalom, though he would know that's a Hebrew greeting, right? But grace and shalom. Or the Greek word for grace, charis. So really right here within this greeting, you have... Greek and Hebrew in thinking. Cheris and Shalom. The reason why Cheris is Greek, not only because it's a Greek word, but it's, it's extremely similar to the Greek word for greetings. And Paul is doing some wordplay here. So he's not saying greetings and peace, he's saying grace and peace, but it's almost the same word. So a person would have to do a double take and go, oh wait, he didn't say greetings, he said grace. What is he talking about? What do you mean by grace? I've never heard that before. I think Paul is very, he would have to be intentional, right? This isn't a common greeting of the day to just say grace to each other. But it is common, like the book of James, to say greetings. So Paul redeems the word to be evangelistic with it, to share his faith, to rather than say greetings, say grace. And another theme in the book of Ephesians, speaking to Jew and Gentile, and how they can be united in this grace and peace. He takes the Jewish greeting of shalom, the Greek greeting of greeting, changes it slightly and involves both of them. It's pretty cool, right? But it's not just what's in a greeting or saying hello or slightly sharing your faith with another person, though I think that's great. These are profound words that are life-changing for us in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? When they heard Paul mentioning these words, they would have understood, hey, that's a play on the common greeting. They also would have heard it as a relationship between clients and business people, this, this word for grace, cheris. So not the greeting, but cheris, that was used in these business relationships. It would have been a, a good relationship that had benefits to it. One where you're in great standing or one where you receive gifts, right? You receive something in this business relationship. Of course, our understanding of grace is unmerited gifts, a gift that we can't earn. 
So they know what this word means, but it means so much that we have grace in Christ Jesus. We have this good lasting relationship with mutual benefits, but it's much more than just a business thing. It has powerful dynamics. Think of the word peace, again with the greeting. What, what does Jesus tell the apostles to do when he sends them out? What does he say for them to say when they enter a house? What should they declare? How should they greet people? When he sends out the 12, later the 72, says, hey, peace to you and peace to this house. Because that's the Hebrew greeting. They want peace to come to you and to your house. It's usually how they would say it, even beyond that. That's why we played that video in the beginning. Isn't it amazing how many different disciples were helping to see more disciples come to the church in Ethiopia? You know, saying, hey, disciples from Cincinnati, Missouri, Europe, from Africa, from Ethiopia, all coming together, even though they're from different cultures, they can share the gospel. Something about the gospel can transcend all of those different cultures. And that's the task that Paul is after right here. There's two totally different cultures, two totally different greetings, but how can the gospel get through to both of them? How can it help unite them and bring peace? And that's exactly what happened in that video where as Jesus sent out those 12, he said, hey, bring peace to this house. He says, hey, go and find a person of peace. Person of peace is somebody who's in the community, somebody who's friendly towards the gospel. And then they have their own sphere of influence. They have friends, they have family, they have coworkers. And you just see this exponential growth of love and grace and peace as more and more people come to the gospel through their relationships. Exactly what happened in that video. And that's what can happen with the gospel right here in Bend, Oregon too, is we bring grace and peace to other people. It can be paid forward again and again, and just takes one person. The gospel to come into any culture. But he starts off with grace. Sometimes it can be difficult to have peace with one another, right? But how much easier is it to have peace with one another when you have an understanding of God's grace that has been given to us? Under the cover of God's grace, how much peace are you willing to give to one another? And with an understanding of God's grace, how does that affect the level of peace you want to have with others? I think Jesus is going to challenge us with how much we're willing to have peace. All right. You know, I was up, not at the lake yesterday, but earlier this week, and same thing with greetings. I was telling people about the permit system up in the forest. You know, hey, good morning, how's it going? I'm a forest service volunteer. Have you heard about the permit system? No. Okay, well, here's what it is. And you can pick up on people's worldview. Some of them didn't like the permit system. Some of them cursed a little bit. I said, okay, I think I know where you're at. Not set apart too much. Okay. Others say they're, they're pretty joyful and they got right on it and that was grace. And, but I was thinking to myself, man, what if I had just told these people, hey, grace and peace, God bless. Wouldn't that make a subtle difference? I kept thinking, what a great opportunity 
There are people from Arizona, Idaho, Washington. There's a guy from Puerto Rico up there on the trail. People from all over come to Bend, Oregon, right? What does the gospel of the Christ of Jesus mean to them? All these people who move in here. Again, that's what Paul is doing. He, he knows the cross is foolishness to the Greeks and stumbling block to the Jews, but what is it to the people of Bend, Oregon? And how can we show them this grace and peace when we tell them about the cross? Grace and peace. I often don't really want that for others. <laughs> often don't really want that. In our culture, people get pretty hostile, right? They want to point at others and say, you're an enemy. They want to polarize. Even yeah, In my own marriage, in my own household, sometimes I can struggle with grace and peace. Forget about our culture or our society, but here's what's so motivating to me. When I'm with Madison and we get into a fight, it was nice when something comes up. Maybe I have to confess to her. Hey, I have lust in my life. Hey, I screwed up today. I shouldn't have done this or that. For Madison's response to be one of grace, it's transforming. Doesn't that feel good, right, when somebody gives you grace, forgiveness? It's motivating to, you know what, because this person believes in me, man, I don't want to let something like this happen again. I think it's that same heart Paul opens up here. Hey, grace and peace to you. Because you have grace and peace, you can have the rest of Ephesians. It's transformative to be given that grace. Again, yeah, if we have that grace, if we're a saint, if we're in Christ, amen, but how do we live that out? Are we giving that grace to others? Are we experiencing it and realizing its full benefits? If we've been given the power of God's grace, do others around us realize that? Do they know that we're these people of grace and peace? If that's the way they greeted each other in the first century, I think people around them knew that, oh, those are the grace and peace guys. Here they come again. Their lives have been transformed. They're set apart for Christ. How can we show others that grace and peace? Now, Ephesians will break down grace. It's rich. It's glorious. It's the means by which we've been saved. It's by faith. It's a, it's a gift of God, not by our own works. That's what grace means. It's unmerited and undeserving. But we, we come in, I'll speak for myself, I often come in, I put boundaries on my grace. Grace if, grace if here's some conditions, I'll be graceful with you. If not, I'll, I'll bite. We come in, we put boundaries on the grace of God where God wouldn't put boundaries. We need to ask ourselves that. Are we willing to give grace to this person? Would God give grace to this person? Are we putting boundaries where God would not put boundaries? Because we, we often like to give grace to our friends, to those we favor or we want to favor us, right? To our allies we give grace. Jesus comes along and he says, no, actually, love your enemies. Give grace even to your enemies. And here's the thing. 
all of us were once an enemy of Christ before we were given that grace. We were hostile. We were not graceful. And he said, yes, I'm giving grace to you so you can turn around and give grace to someone else who's hostile. He didn't want us to turn around and put boundaries on him. And Ephesians will go into that, that when we were far off, God came to be our peace, to reconcile us to him while we were still enemies. We often don't dream, right, of giving grace to our enemies, of dying for them. That's God's dream for each and every one of us as we come to him. To love us, die for us, bring grace and peace to us. That we might bring grace and peace to others. Again, it's not something we should be working at. All right, how can I achieve this grace and peace? It's something that we got to remember because I already have this grace and peace. How can I simply just pay it forward to other people? If I'm his saint, if I'm set apart to be obedient to him, how can I be obedient in this area of grace and peace? Serve him in this way. Set apart to seek the will of God. To worship him on his terms. And with an understanding of grace and peace, right, when we talk about being a saint and set apart to serve and worship God, well, grace and peace makes that a joy and not a burden. Peace. Nadia has another slide for us. Ephesians breaks down peace in this way. We've already talked about grace just a little bit. Peace, it'll get into one chapter over in verse 14. For he himself is our peace, Jesus Christ who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He gave his blood for our peace. He's reconciling sinners unto himself. It goes beyond the simple greeting. Verse 17, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, so that we can live together in peace. And I love that, that he himself is peace, but then he went and preached peace. So peace itself preached peace so that you can have peace and give peace to others. That means, hey, I'm not going to have any unsettled issues. I'm not going to have any animosities, no bones to pick. I'm going to have peace. Because Christ wants me to have peace, because peace himself gave me peace and preached peace. As much as it depends on me, right? As I would say in Romans 12, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. You can do that and you can be at peace with everyone because Christ is your peace. It's the peace that rules in your hearts because you've been given peace. As much as it depends on you, you have a state of being, of being at peace with others. Ephesians 4 verse 30, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Chapter 6, verse 15. And as shoes of your feet, this is in the armor of God, as shoes of your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The very gospel itself is a gospel of peace for others. Man, reconcile to God. Christ achieved this peace for us. That's the gospel message right there, right? 
Our sins separated us, but hey, Christ came and unites us. That's what other people need to hear. Need to see this fruit of the Spirit. As much as they need to see it, they're just naturally seeing it because it's an overflow in your life. It's not something you're going around and earning. You're not working for the peace. You're not ordaining peace. You're not forcing others into peace. No, as much as it depends on you, you're living as if you have a peace in Jesus Christ. Amen, church? There ought not to be one relationship in the church or even in our lives that we're not at peace with because Christ is our peace. Doesn't mean the other person is also seeking peace. They might not be. They might still be hostile. (laughs) They might still be an enemy of God, but as much as it depends on you, you can have that peace because you know Your God is a reconciling God. And you're going to pursue peace on every occasion because of Christ's actions, not because of their actions. Not because of how they're acting towards you, but because of how Christ has already acted for you. Have we embraced that grace and peace? If if King Jesus starts out in verse 1 and 2, if Jesus is our king, if we've given Jesus everything, then has it changed the way we live? Has it changed the way we're willing to give grace and peace to others? If Jesus is our king, we should be set apart in that way for him. That's how we can embrace it. And I think Paul lived that way. When he set out to unite Jews and Gentiles, he said, man, this is possible because of who Christ is. We should be united with each other and at peace with each other. I think Paul was honored to represent the Savior of peace and to call others to peace. And we need to be today as well. When people are fighting out there, they're going through you know, things in society, things in culture, we don't fight as the world fights. We share Christ who's grace and peace. Amen, church? Amen. I, was talking, I was floating on the lake the other day, talking with some of the guys about this. I'm going to bring in, a, there's two important terms at the heart of what Paul is doing here. One's a good term, one's a bad term, but how you can relate to people, bring grace and peace into situations, and let Christ shine through. And the terms are this. One is deculturalization. Has anyone ever heard of that before? It's the bad one. (laughs) Deculturalization is when you come in and you wipe out somebody's culture. So, you know, maybe that's, um, you know, early days in America, right? Where you need to learn English, you need to cut your hair, and you need to learn all of these things. We're not going to teach on your culture or just this one way. Deculturalization. You have to do it this way. So we probably don't want to do that with the gospel. And I've been witness to that. Madison and I over in Fiji, um, where early missionaries came in, and they didn't really maintain their Fijian culture aside from wearing a Sulu. They'd go to church and dress a certain way, and it is taking on that version of the gospel. 
So that's a deculturalization. They lost a lot of their Fijian culture and took on what the settlers had brought in through the gospel, the way they did church. So there is a positive way to do this without just wiping somebody's culture out as you show them grace and peace. I don't think Paul came along and just wiped out people's cultures. He had to figure out how can the gospel apply here. So here's the good term. What you actually want to do is disenculturization. <laughs> Disen I said that wrong. Disenculturation. That's a little easier. Disenculturation. Rather than deculturalization, bad. Disenculturation, good. Disenculturation is taking a look at yourself. And this is a term that's been around for 20 plus years. This is what missionaries do when they go to another culture. They have to say, how can I learn their language? How can I follow their customs? How can I become all things to all men, as Paul would say? And yet maintain the gospel, bring the gospel to these people. So in order for missionaries to do this, they have to peel back the husk of the church culture they've been raised in. And say, what's, what's the center kernel, the nucleus, the gospel to bring to these people? You know, all of us who came here on the Bent Mission team had to go through this process come from a different city, different state, a different church culture. So how can we all come together, be people of grace and peace, be united, and not just wipe out somebody else's experience and say, hey, be uniform in this. No, how can we be united and just look at ourselves of, hey, what was I raised on that was culture? What was I raised on that was gospel? And it's actually a very healthy thing to do because the goal, the aim is missional. How can I bring the gospel to others? Not what benefits me. No, what parts of my culture can I set aside to bring the gospel to this culture? What is the cross to people in Bend, Oregon? And if we always are going through that healthy, pro healthy process with bringing the gospel through to others, then we can make sure that we're not imposing our own, own culture or inhibiting it on others. We can make sure that our own culture or our own boundaries aren't getting in the way of bringing grace and peace to others. And that's a major thing Paul's going to deal with with Ephesians, right? How can these cultures be unified? Well, let's start off with telling them about the God of grace and peace how he's given them grace and peace, and then maybe they can get along with each other. It's so important because somebody's first picture of Jesus is probably the Jesus they're representing to them. That's why missionaries want to go through that process, because the Jesus you give them is the Jesus they're going to start to imitate. So you don't want to give them the American Jesus. You want to give them the Jesus of the Bible, amen? Amen. We don't want to give people boundaries or a culture or anything that's gospel plus, amen? Yeah. That's what people are going to imitate at first. So when Paul comes in and says grace and peace to you, that's what they're called to imitate. How Paul is honoring Christ, just saying, man, look at how we're blessed with this grace and peace. So church, let's imagine what that would look like for us. It's very, I'm not saying start saying grace and peace to every single person. That's a great practical. That's a great way we could take the gospel. But maybe there's an even better way to take the gospel to Bend, Oregon. 
But how can you let Jesus' grace and peace shine through? Imagine if we were people known for our grace and peace. Mm. Imagine how you could bring this to your family, to your fathers, mothers, parents. How can you bring grace and peace to your children, to the, all those relationships? How can you bring grace and peace to your coworkers, right? Mm. Coworker wants to gossip. Nah, actually, I, I think we should be at peace with this person. Hey, how could we give them some grace? Your coworkers would probably stop coming to you to gossip, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's t what tends to happen. What would happen if, what would happen if in your work culture, your family culture, if there wasn't one relationship in your heart that you weren't at peace with? If you were able to bring peace into your workplace. Because remember, you were once his enemy. By the grace of God, you've been reconciled to him. To be set apart for him. So that you could give grace even to your enemies. Even to the gossiping co-worker. Even to the father the family member, whoever it is on Father's Day, you can bring grace and peace. So church, if we're going to be set apart as saints, let's be set apart as people of grace and peace. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, I'll end with this actually, because Ephesians will end with this. In chapter 6, grace and peace comes up not only in the greeting, but with the ending. Paul says, chapter 6, verses 23 and 24, Peace be to the brothers and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. We can welcome up Brother Jesse, who's going to lead us in communion this morning. Grace and peace. Um, Grace peace. <laughs> so, one of the things that uh, Joy mentioned, you know, like the number of occurrences in Christ. And if you pull out your concordance, you'll see that grace is the word in the New Testament um, that shows up throughout. In the Old Testament, it's gracious. And throughout the Old Testament, um, the gracious hand of their God was upon them. The grace, the God was gracious to someone. This one uh, exhibited the grace, graciousness of God to a situation or a person or a place. And then in the New Testament, it's grace, grace and peace almost always together, but the, the word is changed into grace and it becomes a ubiquitous part of the letters, certainly, where almost all of, all of the discussion of grace is in the letters. And what I want to point out, my one simple point for communion is the change in perspective that this focus on Yahweh has had from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God is gracious, and God continues to be gracious. All of when we're talking about grace and peace, it's from our Father and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, that doesn't change, but what changes is that grace becomes a part of the community of those who follow our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. It becomes an intrinsic part of what it is to be Christian, 
And as Paul keeps referring to it, it's because that's a central element of the church that he is speaking to, of the church that is growing, and of the, the mission of the church to bring that grace and peace. Not simply from the gracious hand of God, but from its, its uh, being among us and in us. So in communion, um, communion is the oldest tradition of the Christian church. To take the elements representing Christ's sacrifice for us um, and to be reminded through them that Christ has indeed brought grace and peace not only to our communities but to our lives and to what we can achieve and what we can do in the world. Um, that it is indeed a world that we can go out into with grace and peace from our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm.